Guess what, Corey? What? It's Halloween Horathon season. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. Here I continued my research undisturbed by the myriad distractions of modern civilization and far from the groves of Academe. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian runes, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated Book of the Dead. The book is bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. It deals with demons, demon resurrection, and those forces which roam the forest and dark bowers of man's domain. The first few pages warn that these enduring creatures may lie dormant, but are never truly dead. They may be recalled to active life through the incantations presented in this book. It is through recitation of these passages that the demons are given license to possess the living. Be afraid. Be very afraid. You can't say what happened to our eyes! You're right, Mr. Fowles. <laughs> People really should learn to keep their hands to themselves. Here's yours. It's not because of me that we're here now. Hungry. And cold. And hunted. Killer clowns in outer space. Holy shit. The doctor is in. I'm gonna get you, fuckers! I love you, Keith. But all I can see right now is food. Sometimes, that is better. Hey, what's going on, son? What's coming off? Your face, clean off. Welcome, boys and ghouls, to Halloween Horathon 2 Dead by Pod, our annual Halloween event right here on the Film Effect Podcast, the weekly show that gives you the deepest of dives, featuring a different film each episode in an effort to give it what we call the full Film Effect treatment. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is The Evil Dead. Girlfriend, you take care of her. Ah! 
In the Evil Dead, five friends travel to a cabin in the woods where they unknowingly release flesh-possessing demons. Well, this is the magical time of the year that we look forward to throughout the previous 11 months. Of course, I'm talking about the Halloween Horrorthon, where throughout the month of October, we'll be cramming as much horror material down your throat as you can possibly handle. With 18 episodes planned over the next several weeks, that's 18 horror selections that we cannot wait to talk about. And it starts right now with Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead. Not only is this a fitting kickoff to this year's big event, but it's also the first episode of a double feature premiere that we're having with this and its sequel, Evil Dead 2. So Corey, on a scale of 1 to Deadite, how excited are you for everything we have planned over the next month? Oh yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, you know, this is a personal thing for me, but uh, I kicked off my first episode on the podcast, the first episode of last year's Horathon. Uh, so this is like the year anniversary for me uh, as part of the show. So yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, you know, it, it, I can't believe I've, it's been a year already uh, since the first time I came on and, you know, obviously now. Uh, I'm a full-time presence. Uh, but yeah, I love Halloween. It's my fall is my favorite time of year. Uh, I love yes. all the spooky stuff. You know, like, we're not a horror podcast, but, I mean, that's kind of like our wheelhouse. Like, our bread and butter is oh, like uh, horror. We are in sure. October. We are in October. And I have <laughs> no shame in admitting that. Believe yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely for both of us, uh, we both are horror hounds. I mean, like, I definitely, you know, just watch so much stuff. Uh, so, yeah, it's cool just to finally talk about a lot of these movies, uh, especially Evil Dead 1 and 2. I mean, and, you know, at one point you could call them a call classic. Nowadays, it's just mainstream, but, you know, obviously huge and in influential. So, yeah, I'm real excited to be talking about both of them. Yeah, man. One year. Full circle. It's awesome. Congrats. Doesn't even feel like a year, but still. It's, you know. Um, so, yeah. Let's uh, waste no more time getting into everything. Let's begin with our first-time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So, technically, that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So, if I'm not up to... Uh, for me, Nightmare Theater. One day, I was about seven or eight. I remember watching it alone one afternoon when I guess you were either punished, sick, or out somewhere with the family. But I just remember sitting uh, in my pop's room one day just watching this and just, I, you know, I remember that first time um, just because it was a lot that I absorbed. I watched it my first time like a sponge and I just absorbed everything. Because I had never seen a film. I mean, granted, it was definitely cut for TV. It was a lot cut, actually. But um, even for that matter, that being said, uh, just it, it's such a basic movie, but it's also truly horrifying at the same time. And, you know, it's something I'm going to talk about. Uh, it, it's just a tr it's something that I wish this series, you know, uh, just went into further and further, but it, it doesn't. It goes at the it, it goes quite the opposite route, and we'll talk about that you know, probably in the next episode. But you know, for this one in particular, this movie, this is a dark fucking movie, and just rewatching it uh, for this episode just uh, re reassured that you know and reconfirms everything that I just 
just always remembered about this. I think before watching it uh, this most recent time, it had been it had been a couple years, but still, every time I watch this movie, I take it in like it's my first time. So yeah, so I distinctly remember when I saw this one. Uh, my first time viewing was actually a rental. So the story with it is, and this will tie into Evil Dead Two. I saw Evil Dead Two first. Uh, oh, that's the one okay. I saw first. And it all comes back to a two-pack of VHS I got back in the day. Uh, it was Day of the Dead and Evil Dead 2. It was uh, one of those VHS two-packs they sold at Sam's Club back in the day. Right, right, right. Uh, and it was just two VHSs shrink-wrapped together for the price of one, essentially. So I actually bought it for uh, Day of the Dead, honestly. I was into those films at the time. I was probably like 10 or 11 or something like that. Uh, and I watched Evil Dead 2, and it blew me away. I mean, I just loved it. So uh, when I was like, well, there's two, so I, let me rent the first one. So I remember renting it one night and watching it. And, you know, I, I had mixed feelings about it because, you know, Evil Dead, this might be a hot take. I don't think it is, but Evil Dead 2 was the superior film, at least in my opinion. So I think I was a little disappointed that the first one uh, wasn't quite on the same level. But mm-hmm. uh, nowadays, I, I appreciate it in different ways. I mean, it's still, in my opinion, a horror masterpiece and a landmark film uh but you know when you compare the two you know it's tough like you're comparing like a basically a student film with no budget uh to one a slightly higher budget you know when they're a little bit older and wiser you know sam raimi and bruce campbell and crew so uh you know it's just interesting but i always draw that comparison between the two because i always saw the second one first and this one so i've always kind of looked down at it when i was younger not necessarily now but that's how i was back then right um Tell you what, I'm going to hold off on my comparisons of the two for the Evil Dead 2 episode because it ties into that film more. Because um, mine takes a little bit different than yours, but, you know, it's that's not, not to, you know, outshine or undertake your opinion whatsoever. Um, I just, I saw this one before the second film. So, of course, my mine takes a little bit different, although our common take is Evil Dead 2 is the superior film. So... All right, story time. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story, a story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. So I have a story about this. Not this, not the actual film. So let me just get into it. Horror convention back in 2002, 20 years ago, this happened. It was in August, around my birthday, down at the uh, BWI Marriott, Baltimore, Washington International, the airport. Um, it was a horror find, horror find weekend. They're no longer uh, a company. Because now in this uh, Delmarva area, it's Monster Mania that just rules the convention circuit when it comes to horror conventions. But back then, it was horrifying. And they had... I went with some old friends, um, mainly uh, Jen Wyatt from Blockbuster and her friends, uh, our mutual friend Garrett, shout out, and a couple of hers. And... It was 
being marketed as like the first time or one of the first times that the entire main cast of Evil Dead were together in under the same roof, like at a convention or anything like that for that matter. And so, of course, that being said, you had Bruce Campbell, you had Ellen Sandwich, you had um, Hal Delrich, you had Betsy Baker, and you had Sarah York. And they had this special thing. I don't know how you got into it, because this is funny. They they had people lined up at one part of the day because the cast was having not a Q and A. It was it was it was supposed to be a Q and A, but it turned into something completely different down in the pool room. And only like the first batch of people that were there got to attend this. So they were moving the the line into the pool room. Corey, I shit you not. We just nonchalantly just jumped in line. <laughs> there was a gap that we saw. <laughs> we seized the moment, and the five of us just kind of like nonchalantly like walked around with everybody and, and kind of like merged into the line and went through the door, and it worked. We got in, and we watched what was the five actors. Basically, they were taking questions from the audience at first, but the one thing I'll always remember is they were reenacting scenes from the movie. And I had never seen something like this before, even to this day in, in horror conventions. And I've been to plenty of horror cons. I've never seen, st- I mean, was, they have panels with actors and stuff. That's, that's common. But this was different. I had never seen a panel where the actors essentially hijacked it and were just reenacting scenes. I remember them like, line up their chairs two in the front three in the back like they were all driving and they were reenacting the goddamn scene in the beginning when they were all in the delta 88 and they were of course you know ad-libbing doing their own you know lines and stuff you know pandering to the crowd because it was funny but it was just the coolest thing and it's it's one thing i'll always gonna remember that ties into this movie um later on in the day we waited in a five-hour line to meet the, uh, to meet Bruce Campbell, uh, still to this day, I've never waited that long to meet an actor. Um, at one point, I actually took a nap. That's how long we were in line to meet him, and it was just it was a good experience. I wish I still had the the eight by ten that I bought for him to sign, but that was twenty years ago, and I've moved quite often since then. So of course, it's you know gotten lost in the in the moves. Um, but yeah, that, that's the story, um, that I always think about that ties into this movie. And I figured I'd share it for everyone because it was a cool experience. So, yeah. Oh, before we talk about the film itself, let's do live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay. I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash from the Clash. Mm. Let's get it on. Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana smells like teen spirit off of Nevermind. Oh, no, Rob, that's not obvious enough. Not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation Ruling all right. the Right. Top five favorite Sam Raimi films. Pretty simple. Number five for me, I'm just going to get into it. No honorable mentions. Number five, The Evil Dead. For reasons that we're going to get into very shortly. How about you? Yeah, my number five is not Evil Dead, but Quick in the Dead. 
um, probably one of the least ramiest of his movies. Like, it's definitely a little more mainstream. Uh, for people who don't know, it's a Western star- yes. oh, sh- starring, starring uh, Sharon Stone, Russell Crowe. Or I'm sorry, Sharon Stone, Russell Crowe, uh, young Leo DiCaprio, and uh, Gene Hackman is the big baddie. Uh, awesome movie. It, it, great premise of like uh, having a gunfighter tournament. Uh, so many great character actors in the film. Like Lance Hendrickson is hilarious in the movie. Um, DiCaprio just, uh, in the Sam Raimi movie. Yeah, DiCaprio Sam Raimi movie. Yeah, it's it's uh, pretty awesome. Uh, for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's a quick sit, simple premise. Um, even Sharon Stone's good in it, which I'm not a huge fan of her, but she's <laughs> even good in it. So yeah, Quick and the Dead, definitely worth checking out. Number five. Uh, number four is A Simple Plan. Um, and I was torn on putting this higher because I'm a real big fan of this movie. But my numbers one through three were just t- too good to knock down for this movie. Uh, nothing against this because um, I'm a big fan of A Simple Plan. Um, I haven't seen it in, in about seven, eight years uh, so I can't really speak too too uh, too much on the film itself. It's 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 been a while, and I've only seen the film collectively a few times. But it's still a film that sticks with me that I've always been a fan of. I've always liked it. Um, I I love the like the the noir esque mystery route that Rami takes for that film. And uh, yeah, it's just an all-around solid film with uh, the late great Bill Paxton and uh, Billy Bob Thornton and Bridget Fonda, Bridget Fonda too. So, is that uh, is that the one where they find money? Yes, or something like that. Yeah, yep. it, it's been a while since I've seen that one, so it's not on my list. Okay, which number four then? I remember liking that, but yeah, it's just been so long. Uh, my number four is Darkman. Uh, I can't. Hmm talk about Sam Raimi without Darkman for me. I loved Darkman back in the day. I, it used to come on HBO constantly, and I would watch it, because uh, yeah. I think we mentioned it maybe on Fewercast, but there is HBO, um, direct HBO sequels for Darkman. Yeah, two and three. Uh, which obviously, Raimi had nothing to do with, but yep. uh, the original is so awesome. Like Just the camera work, it's so just hilarious. Like, when um, Liam Neeson, who plays Darkman, is getting roughed up, like you see his head bashing into like the cabinets, like all these POV shots, and then uh, you see like his rage with the pink elephant, like it's just so Sam Raimi. It's from a top deeply to disturbing Looney Tunes film, <laughs> pretty much. Like, <laughs> it, but just the camera stuff, like all the crazy Sam Raimi stuff, is present in the movie. It's a cool superhero take on a superhero movie in the early 90s. And obviously Durant is an awesome villain uh, in the film, which, uh, you know, we'll be talking about Dr. Giggles later in the Harathon. So, uh, we'll yes, get back. Larry Drake. Yeah, we'll get back to Larry Drake. Um, but yeah, Darkman, I love that movie. I used to watch it every time it was on HBO. So, yeah, it easily had to make my number four. All right. Uh, this will be easy for me then. Number three is Evil Dead 2. And if you want to hear why, check out that episode that is dropping with this very one as well. So, yeah, Evil Dead 2, uh, for sure. How about you? My number three is Army of Darkness. Um, I love Army of Darkness. I Just such a quotable movie, just so hilarious. Uh, when I was younger, I didn't even realize it was a sequel to Evil Dead 2 at first, before huh. I'd seen it. You know, before I'd didn't. seen it. Uh, I saw, like, 
Bruce Campbell on the cover, and I'm like, Army of Darkness. I was like, oh, that looks cool. And then I rented it and started watching it. It's like, oh, this is a sequel. Like, wow. Like, why is it called Army of Darkness? Right. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll cover that later. But yeah, just hilarious. Like, it's not even a horror film anymore. It's just a complete, like, fantasy comedy adventure with some horror elements. But uh, it's hilarious. So quotable. So entertaining. Yeah, Army of Darkness, number three. Yeah, it's also, like, the tamest R-rated movie ever. Oh, yeah. For sure. It could definitely easily be PG-13. There's literally one scene that sticks out that, that you know, can justify it being R. And it's the, the geyser of blood that shoots out of the pit in the beginning. Other than that, 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 that movie's bone dry. There's no F... There's one F-bomb. Bruce Campbell, you know, tells uh, What's-Her-Face or someone to fuck off real quick. And that's it. You know? Ocean's Eleven, the remake from Ocean's Eleven has... Two F bombs, and that's PG 13. So, anyway, I digress. Number two for me is Darkman. Like you, I love Darkman. And you're right. Can't talk about Raimi without bringing up Darkman. His, uh, his version of a dark superhero didn't quite take off the way he had wanted it to. That's why, you know, Universal kind of just took the reins for themselves and made these two direct HBO sequels, Return of Durant. And die, man, die, dark man, die. Yeah. Um, which, of course, actually during the pandemic, I watched all three of them together. And uh, I still like the sequels as corny as they were. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to admit, the sequels, uh, Return of the Rants, interesting. Die, dark man, die. Jeff, J- Jeff Fahey is just uh, there's one film, one reason reason to watch that movie. It's Jeff Fahey as oh, the villain. Yeah. He's For just sure. chewing it up like it's a fine steak. So, uh, yeah. Dark Man, though, you know, getting back on track. Just everything that he puts into that movie. And Liam Neeson, you know, it's it's like the most, it's the most bizarre superhero movie ever made. It really is. Can't wait to cover it on here one of these days. Hopefully we get to it sooner than later. Um, but until then, it's my number two uh, as far as Sam Raimi goes. How about you? My number two, and these two were tough for me to decide, number two and number one. But my number two is Spider-Man 2. Uh, I think one of the best superhero films ever made. I know a lot of people nowadays think the MCU has kind of eclipsed Spider-Man uh, and Spider-Man 2. I love all three of the films he did for Spider-Man. But to me, Spider-Man 2 is like the pinnacle. Like, it is just such a great movie. Like, Doc Ock is nailed. Alfred Molina is like perfect for that role. Uh, Tobey Maguire was good in the role. You know, say what you will. Like, is he as good as, um, you know, like Andrew Garfield? Um, or, um, God, Tom Holland. Like, is he as good as those guys? No, but he was good for the time. I love Spider-Man 2. Just, like, the soundtrack. I remember just being so excited. The action scenes, like, that train sequence. Mm-hmm. Oh, just so great. Like, Sam Raimi did such a great job of doing, like, a classic superhero story. Uh, you know, some people think it's a little cheesy going back now. I think it still holds up. I think it's still a fantastic movie. I still think the first one's really good, too. The third one, yeah, it's not as bad as people make it out to be, but definitely the second one is the one to watch and by far uh, one of my favorite superhero movies ever done. 
So yeah, Sam, props to Sam Raimi for just taking that franchise because you know you got to think back then. Uh, you know, superhero movies kind of sucked around that time in the early two thousands. I mean, you had X Men that was popular, but even X Men kind of sucked still. You know, like it it was okay. Like uh, Spider Man to me was like one of the first, and then Spider Man Two just outdid it so much more. Some of the first good superhero movies in a long time. So yeah, Sam Raimi brought it back, and I think it's just great. Yeah, um, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Spider-Man 2 is better than Avengers Endgame and Infinity War. Hot take. Spider-Man 2 is the greatest comic book film ever made. That is why it's my number one on this list. That is why I will forever praise that movie. It is a comic book film that literally feels like a comic book. It has the perfect blend of humor, action, comedy. Everyone in the movie is likable for their own way. Even Doc Ock. The, it, it, it includes all of your typical Raimi tropes that you would expect. Maybe you don't get them all in a single film, but this one, he he he's he's got his whole bag of tricks out to play with, um, from the Doc Ock surgery sequence with the, with the, the camera work to you know just his cameos. You know, you got Bruce, Ted, old Scott Spiegel shows up, whole gang's there. Um, but yeah, I, I just always had a love and admiration for Spider-Man too. Um, saw it countless times in the theater, watched it so much on DVD, (laughs) you know, it's, I don't know, um, and and the soundtrack, it's just, it, it takes me back to every, every aspect that I can think of when it comes to Spider-Man too. It's just excellent. You know, I, I just, we got to cover it soon. We really got to cover Spider-Man. I mean, I, I know we're not really into doing comic book films, but Spider-Man too, man, got to make an exception because it's just so good. But yeah, that's, that's my number one <laughs> for sure. Spider-Man too. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. I, like I said, it was a struggle for me, but my number one is Evil Dead 2. When I think back to it, I've seen Evil Dead 2 the most. Honestly, I don't watch Evil Dead 2 that much anymore just because when I was younger, I just wore out my VHS. <laughs> You've seen it so much, right? Yeah, and then I wore out, I have, I still have it, my Anchor Bay version on DVD, which is still an awesome version. Like Anchor Bay was like the original boutique label back in the day. Like the cover oh, yeah. art still oh, looks yeah. awesome. All the extras, you get like a little booklet on the inside. Like Anchor Bay was on top of their game even back in the early 2000s. Anchor Bay's edition of Near Dark that came out 20 years ago, the two disc set with the um, the color holographic cover with the booklet insert. I remember we got that at Blockbuster. It's hard to to find now. Yeah, that you want to talk about, you know, special editions like that's one. And what we get when it finally came out on DVD, some bullshit Twilight knockoff that Lionsgate put out because. Twilight was all the rage. I so, mean Blu-ray. Yeah. That's what I meant, Blu-ray. 
Yeah, I, I own that one, and then the sad part is that one's rare too, but it kind of sucks. I have it as well. My, my mine's still unopened, but it's uh out of print. I don't know that the prices come and go. They go up and down. They fluctuate. Sometimes you'll go on there and check to see how much it's going for, and it's a little bit less than a hundred. I think right now when I check, sometimes I get curious. I have no intentions of selling mine whatsoever. Not until at least a 4K has been properly announced. I know Studio Canal announced earlier this year they're going to be doing a restoration on the movie. But until I get that, you know, formal announcement that it's coming out, then I'm going to, you know, hang one to my Blu-ray. Because um, it's hard to watch, too. It's, it's, it's rarely streaming. You know, uh, every once in a blue moon... It'll be up on Shutter, but then after the month's up, it comes down. It's never on there for two consecutive months. I don't. Even, I I have no idea why. I think I read somewhere that next month it's going to be on the Criterion Channel. So if you want to wait, if you want to wait to watch it, there you go. But I'm gonna hold on to my Blu-ray. Um, I think right now, as I was gonna say earlier, or just a minute ago, it's going for like forty-five bucks, something like that. But again, I've. No intentions of selling my copy until, you know, it gets announced on um, the, the proper format. So, you know what that means. Um, oh, shit. Should we talk about this movie? All right, let's roll. Let's get into it. Um, to talk about the Evil Dead, you've got to first acknowledge the relationship between Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. Like the two grew up together and have been best friends since childhood. They've made several low-budget films on the Super Eight on the Super Eight format, um, most of which were comedies because Raimi was a massive Three Stooges fan growing up. Uh, there was a couple comedies that they made together called, one was called Clockwork, another one's called It's Murder, um, but then it was after that they started doing research with drive-in theaters that Raimi became interested in directing a horror movie. So, along with, uh, Raimi, with Robert Tapper, who was the producer, and Bruce Campbell, uh, them and their friends created a short film called Within the Woods. They made that for about 1600 bucks as a proof to concept in order to build, you know, interest up for potential investors to invest in this, you know, full-length feature. That's, you know, they, they, they would show them something, you know, as their first-time filmmakers. So, uh, eventually, they successfully secured $90,000 to make their movie. To generate the rest of the funds to make it, Raimi approached his friend's lawyer, Phil Gillis, and showed him within the woods. Gillis wasn't impressed by the movie itself, or the short the short film itself, but he still offered Raimi legal advice on how to produce The Evil Dead. And with his advice in mind, Raimi asked and eventually resorted to begging a variety of people through... Um, that he knew some friends, some family for the money. Bruce Campbell actually ended up putting his family's property in northern Michigan up as collateral 
so that Sam Raimi could actually finish the film because in early 1980, while they were, you know, rolling the cameras, they had to stop production because they ran out of money. So, and also, they had to produce money to blow it up to 35 millimeter because that was required for theatrical releases back then. This is um, a move that eventually would lead to Bruce Campbell getting a co-producer credit on the film. So everyone eventually raised all the money to produce a full-length film, even though it wasn't the entire amount that he originally wanted. Raimi said the film cost three hundred seventy-five grand to make altogether when it was all said and done. So I'm going to back up a little bit here, because I know that was a lot. And I'm going to bring up Within the Woods. So how familiar are you with this short movie have you seen it are you familiar with it where are you with this i i mean i'm aware of it i've heard of it you know i always knew that that was the you know like demo reel uh for evil more dead less, but i've never seen less. it okay you've never seen it okay we, yeah it's, it's not hard to find youtube but i've seen it i i remember watching it about about 18 years ago or so Someone had a had it on a VCD and showed it to me back in the day, but it's kind of like Evil Dead, but not. It's it's the same premise of you know a, a cabin, you know deadites and stuff like that. But there's no Book of the Dead instead, and instead of just uh, a bunch of friends going, it's uh, two couples. And the actors are played by their real names. Ash is no, it's there's no Ash. Bruce Campbell plays a character named Bruce. And um, yeah, it, it's been a while since I watched it. I just remember the similarities and differences, mainly the fact that they were just two couples, so it was four people, not five. And uh, there was no Book of the Dead. Um, but everything else, it's kind of like and. and it, you know, it's it's really low budget, really graphic, you know, but still, it worked, and they got the money for it, so. Um, principal photography took place on location at a remote cabin at uh, Morristown, Tennessee, without any formal assistance from location scouts. The cast had to find filming locations on their own. Um, it was a filming... It was a difficult filming process that proved extremely uncomfortable for the cast and crew. Apparently, it got really cold. Everyone was uh, actually sleeping. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it during the uh, the plot breakdown. It was producer Irvin Shapiro who saw the finished film and helped screen the, the movie at the 1982 Cannes Film Festival. But it was Stephen King, his rave review of the film, that resulted in New Line Cinema showing up and showing interest. And they're the ones who acquired the film for distribution rights in the mid-80s. Uh, it was originally titled Book of the Dead, inspired by Raimi's love for H.P. Lovecraft at the time. The Evil Dead was originally meant to be a remake of Within the Woods, with a higher budget and a longer runtime. Raimi had turned 20 just before shooting began in this movie. So he was very freaking young. and says he considers the film his rite of passage. Yeah, can't imagine being 20 and making a film like that. That is crazy. Not to mention doing everything that they did to secure the money. Like, they got no help from anybody. They did it all on their, their own. Uh, granted, they... Let me backpedal a little bit. They 
they did the startup money. They got all that on their own. The rest just came through, you know, good faith and, and word of mouth and showing promise with this short film that they had, this, you know, ace in the pocket. Um, so Ramey went on to put an ad out in the Detroit News for additional actors. Betsy Baker, who plays Linda, was one of the actresses who responded. And Ellen Sandwis, who plays Cheryl, who also appeared in Within the Woods, was also cast. The crew primarily consisted almost entirely of Ramey and Campbell's friends and family. They had special effects artist Tom Sullivan create many of the film's foam latex and fake blood effects, adding coffee as an extra ingredient to the traditional fake blood formula of corn syrup and food coloring. And that's kind of why the blood in this movie is a lot darker, obviously. Um, In his autobiography, Bruce Campbell described the film's production as a comedy of errors and 12 weeks of mirthless exercise in agony. (laughs) This just sounds so over the top, but still. Just seeing what they produced and knowing the stories of how they shot this movie, like, I, I can only imagine just how it was, like, behind the scenes back in 1979 slash 1980 doing this shit. Uh, so the film's first cut ran about 117 minutes, which Bruce Campbell called an impressive achievement in light of the 56-minute, of the, I'm sorry, of the 65-minute length of the screenplay. It was then edited down to a more marketable 85 minutes. The original version was conceived as a horror drama with the occasional joke to bring some levity and would focus on the terror that made it to the final product. Um, But also the tragedy of Ash slowly losing his friends and his guilt for not being able to save them. After watching the first cut, Raimi, Campbell, and Tapper agreed that the film was already grim enough and trimmed it to a straight horror movie. So, I don't know if you knew this or not. Some people do, some people don't. If you don't, then you're going to be surprised. The Cohen brothers were involved. Joel Cohen was an assistant editor on the movie. This was uh, one of his earliest professional jobs. He and his brother Ethan would produce and make the film Blood Simple three years after the release of this film. In preparing to get funding for that film, the Cohens enlisted the help of friends Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi to help out, and they happily did so. Campbell and Ramey also starred in a short film based on scenes of Blood Simple for the Coens to show to the potential investors, which proved successful. So this, the Coens essentially did the same thing that Ramey and Campbell did to get Blood Simple uh, created back in 84. Um, I haven't seen Blood Simple in so long. I really don't have an opinion of the movie. I'm not it's sure good. where you're at. Okay. Yeah. I've seen it recently. I own the Blu-ray. It it's a good simple, uh, you know, not to turn a punch. I was gonna but it's say, a good, simple are, you, are you trying to make an aha with that? Yeah, not really. It's just a basic, uh, simple movie, but it's done executed very well. Uh, very top thriller. Uh, very good. John Getz and um, what's his, what's the guy's name? E. G. Marshall is that his name? No, it's it's M. Ermit Walsh or M. I'm at Walsh. M. Everett okay. Walsh. M. Everett Walsh. He's awesome in it. Uh, John Getz is awesome in it. Yeah, great movie. Uh, still worth watching, even though it's early Coen Brothers. Still good Coen Brothers. And Dan Hedaya is in it too, right? Oh uh, yeah, Dan Hedaya. I did forget he was in there. Yeah. Yep. So 
Alright, uh, at the end of principal photography in Tennessee, the crew put together a little time capsule package and buried it inside the first, I'm sorry, inside the fireplace of the cabin as a memento to the production, to whomever, yeah, to whomever found it. The cabin was, oh, sorry, the cabin has since been destroyed and only the fireplace is still intact. So, I'm not sure if the uh, little time capsule is still there or not. I doubt it is, but who knows. So the film. We get the title card before anything else and a lingering shot over the swampy waters of the Tennessee woods. This shot in particular was achieved by having Bruce Campbell push Sam Raby in a dinghy while he was uh, filming the shot. And yeah, it's like, because the first thing I thought when I was watching it was like, okay, someone got into those nasty waters to film this because that camera is down awfully low to that, you know, water, that swamp. And like, it's definitely lingering over it to like, there's no land around. So it's definitely someone being in there. And that's what it was. It was, it was Sam after he got pushed. Um, you know, it's funny because doing my research for this movie, um, I know uh, Tim Fallow is credited as the DP for the movie, but it just sounds like Sam Raimi, and even in some shots, Bruce Campbell himself, did a lot of the guerrilla filmmaking themselves with the camera. Like like the uh, like the demon shots and all that, the POV, you know, that, that wasn't all the, D- the credit the DP. That was all like between either Raimi and Campbell because they had some tricks for a couple of these shots. Um... The film cuts back and forth between the lingering POV shot that we just mentioned and a group of teens driving to a remote cabin in the woods. You got Ash, Scotty, Cheryl, Linda, and Shelly. So, we got our hip young cast here. <laughs> and let me just say, watching this uh, just now, it's so crazy hearing how uh, high Bruce Campbell's voice is in this film. Yeah. It's just kind of like a normal... Like, you know, teenage, young 20-something, you know, he doesn't have that deep, uh, you know, cool, smooth silk voice yet. He kind of gets it in the second film, but not in this one. And just how, you know, young he looks, you know? It's, it's, I know it's like 40 years ago, so of course he's young. He's just a little baby compared to now. But still, uh, just a kid. You know, and to think that this this franchise is still relevant in his career. I mean, yeah, I know he's always going to be Ash. He'll be he'll he'll die, Ash, even though he retired, quote unquote, from the character. He'll always be known, you know, for this role. Um, and then Alan, uh, Alan, Ellen Sandwich, who plays Cheryl, um, Hal Delrich. Okay. So we have two actors here who I who I noticed are actually going by stage names. Hal Delrich is one of them who plays Scotty. Richard Demaninker is his real name. And then also um, Sarah York, that's also a stage name, who plays Shelley. Her real name is Teresa Tilly. So uh, Betsy Baker, who plays Linda. Um, it's not like any of these people... Uh, or, or just, except for Bruce, of course, or went on to really do anything. Uh, they pretty much were just friends and small-time actors, honestly, who now thrive in the convention scene. And if they are doing work, it's either brief cameos 
in one of Raimi's newer films. Like, I know he had everyone come back for a, a little blink-and-you-miss-it cameo in Oz, uh, The Great and Powerful. Um, but other than that, you know, you'll see him in conventions, and that that's pretty much it. And that's not a knock. I'm not, I'm not trying to downgrade them or, or, or shame them or make them sound, you know, uh, trust me. One thing I've learned being, you know, in the, in a fan of this genre all my life is that you can make one movie. It could be for one scene that could last maybe five minutes, if that, and you can be just as relevant at the hard conventions in, in the circuit as like a Robert England type, you know, you'd be surprised how, you know, how, how big the crowds some of these people attract. Um, I got one more funny story from the, when I went to that monster, uh, I mean, sorry, horrifying convention 20 years ago. So I, I actually met everyone individually. It was just uh, Bruce Campbell who we had to actually wait for because it's Bruce Campbell. But when I met the three girls, because they, they, even today when you see them at conventions, they're all pack, they're, they, they're all like one big package. It's the Evil Dead girls. So when I met them, it was a funny story because I knew, you know, they were charging for autographs. So I, you know, got, I had, I had brought my um, Book of the Dead edition of this movie that Anchor Bay had put out because that came out not, like, it, it had just come out right before this convention. It was like perfect timing. Like, Anchor Bay put out this Book of the Dead replica with the DVD inside of the movie. And then this convention was, like, not long after. Like, maybe a matter of weeks or maybe months later. It was all around the same year, though. I know that much. It was that close. And so that's what I was having them all sign. And so I had them sign it. You know, I think it was, like, 30 bucks for all three of them. You know, nothing crazy. Not like today. Today's prices in conventions are, like, 30 bucks for someone who did a two-second scene, you know, in in a TV film from 40 years ago that are just now, you know, getting recognized. That's, like, the lowest they'll charge. It's crazy the prices, how much they've went up over the years. But anyway, I'm getting off track. I'm getting off track or off topic. The, um, I asked for a picture. And I brought a disposable camera with me. This was before cell phone cameras and stuff like that. And they were happy to oblige. Took the picture. Oh, first off, I should get to the main reason why I'm telling the story. They fucking loved my name. I told them my name. And they were like, holy shit. Oh, my God. Ed as in Evil Dead. I was like, hmm, I never thought about that before. Holy shit. Cool. So they, they, they dug that that my name was Ed because, you know, Evil Dead. But so I had them take the picture. Like I said, have it to oblige. So afterwards, they smiled back and said, that'll be $40. They fucking charged me for the picture on top of the autograph. And I was like, wait a minute. You do that? I was so pissed. Like, I didn't I didn't give them shit. I didn't have the balls to. <laughs> but, you know, deep down, I was pissed. I felt chipped off. I was like, holy shit. The evil dead bitches just ripped me off. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to fuck with them. Just start seeing the dead on Hell no, soon. man. They will swallow my soul. Um... But yeah, anyway, getting back on track here. Um, uh, yeah, so they're all in the car. <laughs> and so um, at this part in the beginning, while they're all in the car together, uh, we, we see them all drive, or Scotty's driving, and he almost hits that red pickup truck. And he's like, 
giving sh- ass shit about his own car. And I'm thinking to myself, why isn't ass driving his own car? No offense, Corey. I love you to death. You would never drive my car anywhere if I was, you know, perfectly fine and functional. You wouldn't see me sitting in the back seat, you know, just hanging out with you driving a car. Like, why? Why is Scotty driving Ash's car? <laughs> I never understood that. <laughs> just- uh, I I think it just could be down to the dynamic. Uh, Scotty's like definitely the alpha male in this group, you know, and Ash is kind of like the sidekick or the the uh, Omega, <laughs> you know. It's kind of yeah. how it is. Uh, yeah, and it definitely shows that it, it comes off that way on screen too. So I know what you mean for sure. So after completing uh, the the filming uh, before they had to stop because he were out of money, most of the actors left the production and didn't come back so there was a lot of stuff to be filmed but in order to do such a thing um campbell and and everyone else that was around that didn't leave actually returned i should say they stood in as fake shimps now it's important that we talk about this term here because sam raimi is like I said before, huge Three Stooges fan. And so he likes to use that term fake shemp. Now do you know what fake shemp is? Do you know uh, do you know what a fake shemp is? I mean I know is? shemp is one of the stooges. I don't know what fake shemp is. Right. And they call it that because apparently when he died, they were still like in you know, deep in filming and they still had, you know, shots they had to get with him. So they used a stand-in, and they just kind of like, even though they, the the person doesn't even have to look like them, because they'll like get them all like made up, and and made and put out to make them look like that person, with through makeup and and you know hair pieces and whatnot, whatever they gotta do, that's how they do it, and that's what he did in this movie, because uh, a lot, you know. Like I said, they weren't. They were a little bit over halfway through filming, I guess, and they, that's when they ran out of the money. But people just didn't come back because I'm going to get into it in a little while. They just could not tolerate the conditions. You know, it's neither here nor there. But that's that's it's important to explain what fake shemp is because that's what you'll. A lot of Sam Raimi movies just pick out like three or four random Raimi flicks. And just go right to the end credits. I guarantee you, at least 75% of those movies you pick is going to have someone credited as fake shemp. So, that's all. Um, oh, and there's also a thing here after where you see um, there's like these two locals that like wave. And Scotty's like, the hell are you waving at? I ain't talking about you or whatever. He's like, I wasn't hogging at you. Um... And that's Sam Raimi and Robert Tappert themselves to play those those waving fishermen. So they're all talking about how Scotty got a real real good deal in the cabin that they're going to, but no one's seen it yet. So um, <laughs> this is when I noticed Alan Sandwich sort of like so like melodramatic, over the top school theater acting. She's like. You mean no one's seen it? <laughs> like, I don't know about you. Like, I was getting, like, just overacting vibes. How are we getting it so cheap? Well, I don't know. Might be in real bad shape. You mean 
Nobody's seen this place yet? Well, not yet. Well, it might not be that bad. No. Actually, it might be kind of nice. Yeah. It's probably a real pit. Okay, I think this is where we get off. This is the bridge we're gonna cross. Jesus Christ, the whole thing's falling apart on us! Don't let the noise fool you, girls. This thing is solid as a rock. Oh, yeah, the, I mean, the acting is not great in this film, but that's not necessarily why you're watching it. I mean, yeah, even right. even Bruce Campbell, I mean, he's the best out of everybody, but he's still not that, like, he's still not Bruce Campbell in this film. He's not the Bruce Campbell everybody knows and loves, uh, you know, as of Evil Dead 2. Like, he's still young. All of them are, you know, not that great, but that's that's not the impressive part of the film. Right, we're not watching Evil Dead for, you know, its Academy Award-winning moments, or its Oscar moments, because there are none. Um, Alright, so the bridge that they get to, it's it's steady as a rock, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, um, they go in, They you know, the whole bit with the, the tire goes through, the bridge is falling apart, obviously, but they get past, they get through, and they continue yeah. to move on. A lot of cutting here. A lot of you can definitely tell the budget constraints. Oh like, it's yeah! Just like you see the tire underneath, uh-huh. and you see like the end of the bridge, and you see underneath. Like yeah, Raimi's like pulling out all the tricks right here to get around the fact that they didn't have a rickety bridge and they couldn't do a miniature like they do uh, later on in the series. Nah, yeah, of course. So I want to call attention to this like fucking I don't know this this eerie score that's playing as they get the introduction to the cabin going with them pulling up in the Delta 88 there's like this alright there's like this rear steady shot of the car as it's driving and then we hear this like faint eerie score like I mentioned and then there's this loud banging of the porch swing that's even louder than the score itself I, I like it. It's effective. It's it's actually something that I kind of jotted down in my notes. Like, oh wow! Like I've never really noticed this before, and it's kind of cool. Um, the cabin itself was used um, for lodging, like I mentioned before. Thirteen crew members, with several people sleeping in the same room. Living conditions were terrible, and the crew frequently argued. The cabin haven't had. And it didn't have plumbing, so the actors went days without showering. They felt ill frequently in the, the freezing weather. By the end of the production, they were burning furniture to stay warm. So, you kind of now have an idea as to why a lot of people never came back. After the way they were treated, would you? <laughs> oh, shit. So, Scotty opens the door with the keys that was up on the ledge. Uh, that they were left for, uh, that that they left for him, the owners. And everyone unpacks their bags from the car while Scotty continues to look around the place. 
So I've always been a fan of the piano music from Joe LaDuca that plays for the short time while Scotty's checking out the shed. Um, it's the second time in a row I gotta admit, I gotta call attention to the music here, cause trust me, it's I'm not gonna get too many more moments like that coming up, cause you know it's just faint. There's no not faint. That's not the right word. Just a lot of these scenes play out with with no background noise and stuff. So whether that's uh creative choice or a budgetary choice it's still the choice so there's a sunshot a sunshot a sunset shot as we focus on Cheryl who's by the window and drawing like she's drawing this clock on the sketch pad when suddenly she hears a voice telling her to join us over and over and then her hand becomes pale and possessed and she draws a picture of a demon on another sheet of paper <laughs> the whole time I'm just thinking like she's seeing like this picture draw and then she looks down at it in her face and she's like man I fucking suck at drawing like this is just what I thought of it's like oh my god that was freaky man I'm a terrible drawer <laughs> <laughs> it's like so fake looking <laughs> it's just kind of funny it's like this big blockhead and shit anyway um well, I took it as the Necronomicon. I thought that's yeah. what she was drawing. Yeah, I guess you can consider it that. So everyone's at dinner in this next scene, having a good time together, while Cheryl's keeping what just happened to herself. Good choice. There's a split diopter shot of Shelly, and the cellar door suddenly blasts open. He said, I... Oh, okay, okay, okay. Miss, miss. <laughs> Two, 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 two tarim. <laughs> Which means? Party down! Yeah. <laughs> Bam! That fucker comes open. Comes alive. Blast open out of nowhere. Leaving everyone to check it out. And Shelly... Actually... She blames the door on an animal. <laughs> Maybe it was an animal. I know. I love right. the way Scott. Scotty uh, just reacts. fucking reacts like, yeah, maybe it's an animal. Yeah. Such a dick. He is. So <laughs> the cabin did not actually have a cellar. Most of the cellar scenes were filmed in a, st- in a stone cellar on a farmhouse owned by Rob Tappert's family up in Michigan. The last room of the cellar was actually Sam Raimi's garage. The hanging gourds and the bones were a tribute to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. For the scene where the, 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 they go into the cellar from up in the living room, a hole was cut into the floor and a shallow pit was dug and a ladder was placed down in there to give off the illusion that they were going down into a cellar when in reality they were going down to about three feet of nothing. <laughs> so, um, Scotty goes down but doesn't come back up or respond to any of them after being called numerous times. So then, of course, Ash goes down, leaving all the women together in the ca- in the cabin living room, because that's what heroes do. He leaves our damsels all in distress. So there's this, like, aesthetic of, like, beat-up basements that were, like, a bonafide trope back in the day. Like, one you don't see too much these days. But, I don't know, Corey, when was the last horror movie you remember seeing that isn't called Cabin in the Woods that features a creepy basement setting like this? 
You think maybe the Amityville Horror remake when Ryan Reynolds goes down and that that whole subplot that they tackled on that wasn't in the original happens with that killer and that you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, the like crazy guy who like yeah. tortured Native Americans or whatever it was. But I can't really remember anything besides that movie that features a crazy, you know that again isn't a remake, something that's original. Cabin in the Woods, be damned. Yeah. Anything come to uh, mind? No, not really. I mean, it definitely was a trope back in the 80s and 90s. I mean, hell, even Home Alone had, like, a creepy basement in the early 90s. I mean, I feel like that was more of a thing. Uh, maybe it's more prevalent nowadays to have a finished basement. People aren't creeped out by them anymore, so they don't write them into the movies like they did back in the 70s and 80s and early 90s. But yeah, it's definitely always a trope. I mean, like, there was even a Goosebumps book. Don't go in the basement. Huh. It's just, that's just the way everything was back then. It's funny. So Ash, uh, he finds Scotty eventually. He shows him another room with the Book of the Dead inside. Hey, that kind of looks like your old girlfriend. They uh, <laughs> they bring it up to the living room and everyone listens to a tape together until Cheryl cries to stop it. Just as the words are spoken. But Scotty ignores her. Plays it through anyway. And uh. Yeah. Her pleas to shut it off. Go unheard. Suddenly a branch crashes through the one of the windows. And just stops everything. Everything comes crashing to a halt. So evidently everyone was originally scripted to be smoking weed in this scene. They tried it, actually, and then the scene had to be reshot due to everyone's uncontrollable behavior. You just <laughs> see them all just laying, sitting around, smoking, like, just trying to get lit and shit, and this is <laughs> <this is> not <laughs> working. <laughs> Ramey's like, note to self, don't let the actors get a high anymore. Yeah. Oh, man. Get the bad mamma jamma away. So the uh, the tape recorder that they that they listen that they listen in on was actually it belonged to Bruce Campbell's father. That's all. Those things are expensive. <laughs> I can't tell if you're joking or being serious. No, I'm being serious. A reel to reel recorder. That's no joke. That's stuff even for a small one. It's expensive. Okay. Yeah. That's like professional equipment. Yeah, yeah. That definitely is. So Ash gives Linda in this next scene a necklace that has a. Magnifying glass insert. There's like I like to think it's a monocle. Yeah, but there's a lot of eye shots in this scene. You notice that? Yeah, that's why I think it's a monocle. I was waiting for it to pop it on and be like the <laughs> Monopoly guy. It'd be like fucking Veronica from a uh, Heather's episode last week. Her, yeah. her and her badass monocle she rocks throughout. No, yeah, but like yeah, before he before he even gives her the the necklace, it's just Rainbow Fook. It has a lot of shots just. You see Cheryl's or Linda's eyes, back to Ash's eyes as he's sleeping. Cut the uh, cut the Linda's eyes, and back to Ash's eyes as he slowly peeks them open. Like I wonder if she sees, eh? And yeah, different. I don't know. I'm not really sure where he was going with that, but you know, it happens. So Cheryl hears more join us happening. So she actually goes outside. Why? <laughs> to uh, investigate, and there's this absurd shot of the moon overhead. But hey, it's 
It's a lot. Oh like, yeah. But I watched this on my uh, 4K player because I bought the 4K disc for this and Evil Dead 2 from Soundgarden recently, and got to admit, it's a lot less fake looking on the 4K format. They they fix the dark lines and some of the blackout spots. They're just um, yeah. Overall, it's definitely an um, improvement. So. Oh, Christ. And then what follows this? The tree rape. That eventually, yeah. that eventually leads to a chase back to the cabin where she's let inside by Ash. <laughs> Pronouns. She. Talking about Cheryl here. Um, Ash lets her in. Very last second. After the old shaky keys troping hard. With you. Did something in the woods do this to you? No, it was the woods themselves. They're alive, Ash. Look at the trees. They're alive. Ash, why don't I take her in the back room so she can lie down? I'm not lying down. I want to get out of here. I want to leave this place right now. Right now, Ashley. Wait a minute. I sure as hell am not leaving any place tonight. Cheryl. Cheryl. Look, Cheryl, there's nothing out there. Trees do not attack people. Ashley, will you drive me into town or not? What, right now? Yeah, look, sure, sure, I'll take you into town, but just listen to what you're saying. I don't care how it sounds. I want to get out of this uh, yeah. right now. I don't know where to yeah. be. I don't know where to start with this scene because it definitely hasn't aged well. No, it hasn't. I mean, from a practical perspective, it's cool because, like, you know, basically they start with the actress wrapped up with the stuff and they pull it off and run it in reverse so it looks like she's getting wrapped up. So it's like that. that's always a cool trick and it always looks good in uh movies but yeah the whole rape thing you know it, it it is what it is i mean you had it it's a low budget early 80s horror movie i mean it's it was i was dreading watching it rewatching it. it's been a little while since i watched this film because i haven't seen evil dead nearly as much as i've seen evil dead 2 and i was like oh man this scene's gonna be bad isn't it and it's bad but it's not as bad as i thought it was gonna be honestly oh, right. it doesn't hold up but it's not as it's not as cringeworthy as i thought it was gonna be yeah i, I, I pretty much nails what i was gonna say as well so ash agrees to drive cheryl back into town but the bridge that they go to is destroyed it's not gonna let us go ash it's not gonna let us go so when cheryl returns to the cabin Right after this scene with the vines that we just talked about, we see um, Scotty goes to say something and then suddenly stops and throws his head back and steps out of the frame. Clearly, it's because he flubbed the line and because, you know, they shot this on actual film and, well, film is not cheap, so they've got to, you know, preserve as much as they can. That, that's why they recycled some of this footage, and that's why. Um, that, that's yeah, that's why we caught this. That's why there's a scene here with him, just hiding himself because he blew it, but they couldn't get rid of it. Like I said, anyway. Um, uh, let's see here. The back at the cabin, everyone's sitting around with Linda and Shelley guessing playing cards with Cheryl, suddenly chiming in. And who <laughs> reveals her fully demonic form, now a deadite, according to Evil Dead lore. Okay, uh, let me think. Um, it's a seven. 
What suit? Um, diamonds. Uh, no, no, wait, um, hearts. Oh, my God, seven of hearts, you're right. <laughs> hey, Ash, I guessed the card right. Yeah, truly amazing, Linda. I don't know, I don't know, but I think it's really some sort of extra sense or something, you know, like ESP? Okay, try this. Okay, um, it's a seven. I don't believe it! Of spades. <laughs> Queen of spades. Four of hearts. Eight of spades. Two of spades. Jack of diamonds. Jack of clubs. <laughs> Sleep, awakened us from our ancient slumber. <laughs> you will die like the others before you. One by one, we will take you. <laughs> she gives them all a warning that one by one they're all gonna fall, and then she takes a pencil to Linda's Achilles before she's eventually locked into the basement and has a chain, um, she has the door, or the, the door is chained closed by Scotty, followed by another shot of the moon outside. That's a very large moon at that. Holy fucking shit, this is huge. Um, Ash, yeah, he puts Linda to bed to rest while possessed Cheryl taunts everyone from the outside, or from the cellar. And then, this shit here is Sherry. The way she says it, it's haunting. She's like, for God's sakes, what's happened to her eyes? Does she keep making those horrible noises? I don't know! What's up her eyes? Her eyes. For God's sake, what happened to her Referring to Cheryl in the cellar, because at this point, you know, she's just a full on deadite, and everything's changed. She's fully possessed now. There's no turning back. Um, yeah. I just want to say, when the Achilles gets stabbed, that's always like one watch. of my things. I can't watch. I, I can't yeah. do it. I can't do it, dude. Achilles tendon, anything that involves the Achilles tendon, like, fuck off. Yeah, this pet cemetery. Pet cemetery we'll coming up. Soon. God damn it! Ah. Yeah. Ah. Skip it. Fuck it. Um. To Ash, puts Linda to bed. No, I talked about that already. Never mind. My notes. So the the demon breaks into Shelley's room and possesses her, turning her into a deadite. Shelley is uh yeah. Scotty comes to check on her, but finds her as a deadite clawing and tearing away at him until he throws her into the fireplace but then he pulls her out and lets her mock him like she has a or she was a damsel in distress being saved I guess Ash is eventually knocked through a wooden structure and eventually comes to as Scott's starting to cut Shelly's hand off while holding holding a dagger um uh, this bit here is so disgusting but it fucking works it's so gnarly and, and original like she just throws Scott away and starts gnawing at, at the, you know the limb she like takes the rest of her hand off herself and keep in mind it's still holding the dagger in so um 
Never understood that. Why is she doing that? Because, I don't know, to show that they're crazy, well, I, I, I don't know. The whole, but I know the whole nah, dagger with the hand still attached bit was taken from um, within the woods. That's a scene that happens in that short. So, uh, thinking that she's dead for good, her gooey corpse comes back to life once more and gets all of her limbs chopped off in the process by Scotty with an axe. Love the red that covers the camera as, as uh, He's hacking down at her body. Yeah, Scotty ain't fucking around. Nah. <laughs> That's for sure. Shelly's dead. Now we gotta bury her. Uh, so, Scotty and Ash, like I said, bury Shelly outside as we see the POV shot lingering around still. Scott wants to get Linda and find a way out. That's That goes around the bridge. Because Ash is like, nah, the bridge is down. I told you. And Scotty's like, well, we can go around. And Ash is like, uh, I guess. So Ash says that, you know, she can't move her leg. So Scott tells Ash to leave her there until he can find help. He blatantly tells Ash he does not care about Linda or what happens to her. She's Ash's girlfriend anyway. Fucking his words. Um. So back to this demon POV shot that I've been talking about briefly in a couple scenes. Again. That's all Campbell and Raimi. They were li- they were literally gliding this camera that was mounted to a two by four, <laughs> and they were holding it side by side from each other and just running it through. So Ash goes to check on Linda as she suddenly springs to life as a deadite. Scotty then appears, being attacked outside off screen. Ash helps him over to the couch as we see Linda. This is. This fucking scene, dude. So he's helping Scott to the chair. And meanwhile, because you see him going back and forth, dragging and going back. Linda, just sitting in the middle of the room, Indian style, mocking Scotty, along with Cheryl from the, the cellar. Help me. Help me. Scotty, you're going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. You'll see. Ash, it's not going to let us leave. Cheryl. Cheryl was right. We're all going to die here. No, we're not going to die. We're all going to die. All of us. No, we're not going to die. We're not going to die. We're going to get out of here. Now, listen to me, Scotty. Is there a way around the bridge? Scotty, listen to me, please, for God's sake. Scott! Come on. Ash. Ash, I don't want to die. You're not going to leave me, are you, Ash? Are you? I don't want to die. You're not going to leave me here, are you? Are you, Ash? <laughs> Scotty, now come on, listen to me, for God's sake. Is there a way around the bridge? There's a way. The trail. But the trees, Ash. Hey, no. 
Don't you see? Esther alive! kind of get the impression they're just fucking with Ash at this point. They're just like making his life miserable. Oh, it's so chaotic. They're having a fucking field day. You know? <laughs> um, Scotty tells Ash to kill Linda, but Cheryl says that he can't. He draws a double barrel to her head, and then um, she goes back to normal human form and cries for, for him to help her. Cheryl suddenly does the very same from the cellar and Ash believes it, so he approaches the cellar door with the keys like an idiot, but she punches through the door and attacks slash mocks Ash until he loses his cool and attacks. Uh, yeah, and this is just the story of a man losing his insanity or losing his sanity slowly but surely uh, throughout, you know, one night. Because again, this movie takes place in one day. So, Linda then does the second most creepiest thing in this movie and sings a lullaby. You bastards. Why are you torturing me like this? Why? And then Ash drags her outside, featuring yet another massive moonshot. Um, uh, back inside, Ash finds Scotty dead now from all of his wounds, and Linda appears inside again and attacks him. The two fight until Ash stabs her through the back with a large knife that she tried killing him with, and this causes her to fall. And spew milk and blood all over the place. So, yeah, we gotta have this conversation now about this laugh of Betsy Baker's. This is like one oh, yeah. of the things I love most about her act is this laugh. Yeah, it, it's haunting. Like, it's just so creepy. It, it's like this childish like taunt, but then it just sounds so evil as well. It's just awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, back inside. That's uh, it's bad on that. So, yeah, it's just it's it's sick. It's it's I don't know. When I was a kid, it it just turned me off the the, the white milky substance and shit. It reminded me a lot of Alien, uh, and and in fact, the Alien franchise for that matter, because it was more than just the one movie where they were doing that. Like the whole. <sighs> 
yeah. It's just sick. Even thinking about it right here while we're talking about it, it's just making me have a moment. <laughs> okay, so Yeah, both both of these films just have just buckets of blood and gore. I mean, it's just like literally stuff splattering everywhere. I mean, that was just Raimi's style back then. Like, just, you know, you're not going to just see a normal slasher with just a little bit of blood or, you know, even in like Nightmare on Elm Street where you have like the blood splashing out of the uh, Johnny Depp's bed. It's just like, nah, like you're going to have milk. You're going to have all this pus, like all this nasty looking fluids just pumping everywhere in this movie. Oh, God, yeah. Um, hang on a sec. My notes. So, Ash takes Linda to the shed, and he prepares to decapitate her with a chainsaw before he stops and thinks about what he's doing has a moment to himself, and then takes her out to bury her instead. But, of course, she comes back to life, leaving poor Ash to do the dead, to do the dead, to do the deed that he should have done back in the shed. She attacks his leg, leaves it in fucking terrible shape, and eventually she's decapitated using the shovel that he was going to bury her with initially. Back at the cabin, Cheryl escapes the cellar and attacks... Um, and this is when Scotty chases her down the cellar and fill, the, the light bulb fills with blood. Not Scotty, uh, Ash. Um, and yeah, the light bulb, the effect here fills up with blood. And then the projector starts playing with blood filling up on the screen, on the wall. As the uh, record player plays a tune of its own. So the blood over the projector screen is a tribute to Andy Graner. Andy Granger, who's a friend of Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi's, he gave them advice on the film saying, fellas, no matter what you do, keep the blood running down the streets. I fucking love that quote. Um, Back in the cabin living room, Ash is being taunted by banging shutters and voices. Not quite the same way he does or gets taunted in Evil Dead 2, but still, humiliating nonetheless. He goes insane for a bit and fires a shot out the window and loads his gun up once more and takes out the necklace that he gave to Linda. Cheryl's arms come bursting out of the door that Ash is against, so he barricades himself when suddenly Scotty appears as a deadite. But he's easily defeated. Uh, Ash literally just gouges his eyes out and pulls a tree branch out from his stomach, causing him to bleed out and fall to the ground. And then... Cheryl breaks through the barricade and knocks Ash to the floor as they as he's being attacked or him and Scott or she and Scott go to attack him on the ground. He grabs the book of the dead, throws it into the fireplace. Burn baby burn. The deadites freeze in place and then through some badass badass stop motion imagery, they begin to de- decompose rapidly. Yeah, large, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, large appendices uh, burst from both corpses, covering ash and blood. So yeah, um, like it's just the yeah, stop motion. The stop motion it, effects. Yeah, what were you gonna say? 
It, I was just gonna say the stop motion is just kind of gross, like and just charming. Like, yeah, it looks fake nowadays, but it's still just so cool to like watch it for, especially for like such a low budget movie like this to have an effect like that. Uh, it's just really cool. I think it's really charming and adds something to the movie. You know, gives it that uh, nostalgic retro feel, uh, and it's pretty awesome. Like, I think it's a cool idea. I like when he throws the book in, and basically dead ends with like air roar, and they just stop. <laughs> like, I just right. love that shit. Uh, that's funny. All right, um, yeah, that. I mean, yeah, it's, like I said. I, I met Tom Sullivan. I forgot to mention that that Monster Mania. I'm sorry. The horrifying weekend. I'm fucking mixing up my conventions. 20 years ago at that same convention, I forgot to mention that Tom Sullivan was also there. He was down in the showroom where all of the artists and stuff were. And, of course, he was showing off his work, selling a few things. But, um, yeah, cool guy. He actually signed my book for free. I'll never forget that. He was one of the, the rare people who were just like, he got it. He was like, no, I'm not going to charge you. He's like, it's because of people like you. I, you know, am able to do shit like this. So, ain't no swell off my back. Why should it be? All right. So, now the night's now turned to day. Ash heads outside, away from the cabin. Cut back to that POV shot that we've been seeing throughout the film. Now it's rapidly going through the woods. Breaks through the cabin. And then approaches a screaming ash as the film comes to an end. That gang... The Evil Dead from 1981. Alright, let's talk about some numbers. Let's head over to box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. So this is really hard to get some information out of. This was like... This this was... I got nowhere for the most part. I got a release date. It was released October 15th, 1981 from Renaissance Pictures. And I got a total. Total gross, 2.6 mil. That budget, 375,000. So, not the box office success. Not At least not right off the cuff. But through various home video sales, especially in part to Anchor Bay and their a thousand various versions of the film over the years. The film is successful enough to warrant two sequels in a TV series, not to mention a remake that I vaguely remember being more of a requel when it was released 10 years ago this coming April. And yeah, that was pretty much the standard for horror back during this time. Big studios would eventually get on board because they realized all of the um, they realized all they needed to do was throw some money out of production, and in five to four to five months, they'd have a return with a picture from the genre that would always have a big opening weekend, and then would just drop off sixty-ish percent the following week. But that's okay because the studio is usually recuperating the money 
they've already recouped their money back by that point, by at least the end of the first weekend. And everything after that, it's just gravy, pure profit. Um, kind yeah, of, I mean, it's, kind of a genius strategy, to be honest with you. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, back when uh, Evil Dead came out, uh, were, blah, wide releases weren't uh, as common. I mean, really, other than like the big, big films, movies didn't get put in theaters like they do today. I mean, nowadays, everything's digital, so even small movies can get released in hundreds and hundreds or thousands of theaters. You know, back in the day, like, movies basically traveled. Like, you would have a couple prints and basically go from area to area. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that it would be hard to find numbers, but obviously this movie is made just in merchandising and DVD and home video sales alone. This movie has made a ton of money. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, like I said, this was pretty much the standard for horror back during this time. Big studios, you know, would, would do their thing, but and, and make the profit after the first weekend. And yeah, like I said, it, it it was genius until the 80s came to an end and horror seemed to end with it. And that was until Wes teamed up with the Dawson's Creek guy to give horror that much needed gut punch. But what separates Evil Dead with the rest of the genre is the fact that Raimi did this before this all became the norm and it was still the beginning of the decade. So he utilized that Grola style of filmmaking for real cheap and it didn't cost much to make, you know, a profit from. You know what I mean? You there? Yeah. Ah. I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Um, well, shit. Now that we've been talking about this and our point of views, let's hear what everyone else thought about the film. And to do that, we have to take a walk to the Critics' Corner to see what they all have to say about the movie. Rotten Tomato score 95% based off 61 reviews with a critical consensus that says this classic low-budget horror film combines just the right amount of gore and black humor, giving the evil dead an equal amount of thrills and laughs. It carries a meta score of 71 out of 100 based off of 11 reviews. Um, Ebs didn't quite get a rating because I, 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 took an audio snippet from his review on the actual show with uh, Siskel. And he said, I didn't enjoy it, but I would have give, he said, but I would have to give credit to the craftsmanship of the movie. It was obviously inspired by Night of the Living Dead and it's a very pure film. So at least it's a pure film according to uh, Ebes. Chris Duckman gave it an A. It said the sheer passion, the ingenuity, of the ingenuity of them wanting to make the movie a classic. Stuckmanized. This movie Yeah, I love Stuckman. This movie got Stuckmanized. Excited for his movie coming out. Yeah, me too. Bob Martin, who was the editor of Fangoria back around the time this was released, said let's see, he reviewed the movie 
before its formal premiere and proclaimed that it might be the exception to the usual run-of-the-low-budget horror movies. He followed up on this praise after the film's premiere, stating, Since I started editing this magazine, I have not seen any new film that I could recommend to our readers with more confidence that it would be loved, embraced, and hailed as a new milestone in graphic horror. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that because it definitely was something that just kind of started the revolution in horror that hadn't really been done yet. Yeah, you had the crass, low-affair movies from the 70s. You know, your exploitation movies have you. But this is just a whole new bag of tricks, and now we're talking about body horror and shit. It's 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 definitely a new milestone, like you said. James Berardinelli from Real Views gave it a three out of four and says to say that the under I'm sorry, to say that the Evil Dead movies are not for everyone is an understatement. A strong stomach is required. Uh, a few more. LA Times called the film an instant classic proclaiming it was probably the grisliest well-made movie ever. Ed Gonzalez from Slant Magazine compared the film to Dario Argento's work, citing Raimi's unnerving wide-angle work as an important factor to the film's atmosphere. He mused that Raimi possessed an almost unreal ability to suggest the presence of intangible evil. And... Which was what prevented the movie from being B-movie schlock, he says. Uh, Universal praise all across the board that continues to and will continue to impress up-and-coming critics today. The the, the movie itself is just, like you said at the start, a cult classic. Although I disagree with you saying it used to be, this will always be a cult classic in my opinion. Uh, Let's talk about our P's and C's, pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing. Positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. All right, Corey, what are your pros for The Evil Dead? I mean, the first I have to start with is just the camera work. I mean, this is classic Sam Raimi here. I mean, if you take all the fancy tricks and all just the frenetic movement that he has the camera doing in this movie. I'm not saying it would be a bad movie. I'm just saying it would probably be run of the mill. I think we would just be like, yeah, yeah. Evil dead. It was okay. Uh, but just the visual flair he brings to everything. I mean, it is just awesome. Like even in the car scene, just the way the, the uh, scene cuts back and forth between characters. Like it, you just don't see that in like a low budget, early 80s horror movie like you would with this and obviously the iconic um you know evil uh pov shot i mean everybody knows that i mean if you do that shot in the woods uh, even like a mainstream movie fan would know that that's the evil dead shot right uh so you know just so low budget so low tech but just so effective of uh just creating uh this evil so just the way to use the camera and uh, you know, obviously hide his weaknesses of not having a budget. Um, I mean, it's just awesome. Again, I, I'm a huge fan of Sam Raimi and just what he does with the camera. And obviously with this being such a low budget, he was involved with 
pretty much everything, all the camera work, and it, it just really shows. So that that's my number one. I think if you take that out of the movie more so than anything else in this film, it would really suffer. Um, my next one is I just love the gore. I just love the over-the-top gore, just like we said before, just fluids flying everywhere, body parts flying everywhere. I love that it it's gross, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. Right. Uh, you know, obviously, Evil Dead isn't as funny as uh, the, you know, they just consistently get more like comedy as, as it goes on as Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. But this one is still uh, has its funny moments. You know, it still has a sense of humor, which is what I've always appreciated. I mean, you know, you go back and watch like an old Friday the 13th. I enjoy those movies, but sometimes, God, they're just so serious. It can just be a little <laughs> bit boring. I mean, that's why my favorite, it, you know, is like. Uh, at, in the sixth, like when they start making fun of stuff, um, but I appreciate that that Evil Dead, uh, you know, has always done that. It's always had a little bit of humor and flair. So yeah, I, I really my second pro is I really appreciate the humor. Um, and my last one is just the sound and music. Like you said, it's, there's a lot of atmospheric uh, stuff. There's a lot of um, just very somber, just very low key. Uh, right. Obviously, the sound design for like when the evil, the POV is awesome because that just adds a little bit. Like you just hear like that low, like grunting and hum. Like, it's you know, it just, yeah, I know. It just adds something. Like if it was just like a quiet shot or if it was too over the top, it would just completely ruin it. Uh, but just uh, the way it's done is awesome. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of the sound and this just. Again, for such a low budget and such a young director, uh, just awesome choices. So, yeah, that that's my last pro. All right. Pros. I got four. All right. The old school DIY effects still hold up to this dirty day. It gives the film an unsettling, gooey feeling. Um, another one is it's able to do... It's I'm sorry. It's, it's able... Able to be a movie on its own, using all the tropes that you'd expect from a film like this, only they're originated from this very film instead. Uh, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, they're... What else do I need to say about those two? Uh, they're probably the biggest pros of them all. And finally, the, the little things about the film, everything from the eerie music to the clever usage of blood in certain shots. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much, uh, that's it for my pros. How about the cons, Corey? What do you got? Yeah, even though this movie is awesome and a classic, it still has a couple, in my opinion. Uh, my first con is the acting. It is what it is. You know, they're young, uh, friends, <laughs> Sam Raimi's essentially, or just young local actors he cast. Uh, you know. Is the acting god-awful in the film? No, it's it's not. I wouldn't say it's bad, but I also wouldn't say it's good. There's definitely some community theater or film school type acting in it. I mean, it, it kind of adds to the charm a little bit. Uh, you know, once you realize this is basically like a student film that they went out and got funded. So, you know, even Bruce Campbell, in my opinion, isn't... I mean, he's the best actor for sure in the movie, but right. he's definitely not... You know, I wouldn't say it's like a great performance. I mean, he really finds his stride in the sequel. Uh, but in this one, yeah, the acting, it's not what you're here for. I mean, 
on the flip side of that, some of the Deadite acting is pretty entertaining. But uh, as far as like the human characters, I mean, Scotty's like a dick. I mean, it's just like <laughs> it's just uh, not that great. Um, my other con is just you know watching it nowadays as a horror nerd and movie nerd. The budget definitely shows, especially like in the bridge sequence, just all the cuts. Uh, you know, there's definitely a few spots in the movie where uh, Raimi can't hide the just low budget. You know, it just looks a little bit uh, cheapy in a few areas, but nothing too bad. No major cons. I mean, like I said, this is an absolute uh, classic, in my opinion. By my cons, the killer, the, the, killer, the character of Shelly feels thrown in with nothing to do. Sometimes I forget that she's even a character. Um, and the, the tree rape. It just, I felt disgusting and, I don't know, it, it just felt sleazy, that's all, that's all there was to it. It doesn't hold up at all to this day, so. Uh, that's it, honestly, uh, because this, uh, it's not a perfect film, but there's so much about this movie that I like that, yeah, uh, it, it overshadows the bad, so. Let's move on to Modern Cancellations. Someone just got canceled. Someone just got canceled. Someone just got canceled. I wonder what they did. Boy, who are you canceling this time? I mean, it's definitely got to be the trees. I mean, <laughs> come on, trees. No means no. Come on, guys. Oh. It's like, I know we're cutting you down in massive numbers and you're pissed off at us, but, uh, you know, you can't just take advantage like that. I do think it's funny, like, if the tree huggers came in and the trees are like, nah, here we hug you. <laughs> it's just kind of funny, but uh, yeah, the trees for sure. Uh, they need to definitely uh, get woke, learn some manners. Alright, um, where we go? Yeah, Scotty, I, I put Scotty down. Scotty based on his treatment of Cheryl and the girls in general. He's just, I don't know. He's cool with Ash, his best friend and buddy and pal and all that shit, but with everybody else, meaning the women, it, it's just not a good look that he has. The way he talks, the way he acts, I don't know. Um, especially in that scene in the beginning when they're first going to the cabin. Uh, there's a few key scenes, even when they're all like scared because they know it's ha- they know about what's going on. But then he ch- instead of you know being on the same page, he chooses to mock her. So anyway, let's move on then. Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again. Would you make the same choices? Alright, mulligan moment. If I could change one thing, y'all know the rules. Uh, the tree rape would definitely not happen. Why? Because the fucking scene doesn't hold up to begin with. So yeah, that's what I'd be doing. I would be cutting that out of my movie. That's mine. That's my mulligan moment. To cut out the... Uh, the gratuitous nudity and shit that's there. So, cool. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you there. I would take that out. On the other side of that, just to give a different point of view, uh, I kind of wish the Duddites were a little bit more effective in the movie. I mean, like you mentioned it before, but I mean, they just kind of sit around and laugh at Ash at certain points. Or it kind of like takes the threat level down a notch, in my opinion. Like, 
I know they're there to kind of mess with them, and they're kind of like this malevolent uh, being. You know, they're not necessarily out to kill Ash right away. But I feel like in the other films, they're definitely a little bit more deadly than they are in this film. They're not the greatest. I mean, right, right. They're definitely kind of amateurs at this point. I'm assuming it's the first film. You know, the (laughs) Deadites are kind of fine in their stride. You know, it's been hundreds or thousands of years. So, but yeah, they're definitely not the most effective killers in this film. So, yeah, that that would be my other one. Just maybe uh, make them a little bit more threatening in certain spots instead of just sitting there uh, laughing and kind of just letting yourself get drug out of the house or the cabin, you know? All right, let's move on to... Finger licking good. Finger licking good. What's your favorite scene, Corey? Yeah, it's tough for me to pick. Uh, no, I'm a huge fan of the film as a whole. So right, of course. It, it it's kind of tough for me to um, get one that stands out. But I mean, and this might tie into another category. But I just love when the Necronomicon Nepr- blah, can't say it. Necronomicon goes in the fire, and you see the stop motion effects. Like that's just so awesome. Like there's just the whole ending is pretty cool even like the very end when uh you know you get the evil pov shot going into ash i think that's a great way to end the film so really just the whole end i think it's a really strong uh way to end the film and just really enjoyable uh but it's like i said it's tough for me this isn't one of those movies where it's like oh yeah that's definitely my favorite scene and i enjoy the movie as a whole really so it's tough for me to pick out but if i have to pick one yeah the end when the necronomicon goes in the fire all right, for me, it's the um, Linda initially transforming. Like, she's the creepiest deadite by far, especially when she starts aggressively singing lullabies and laughing or giggling. Um, it's like I, I mentioned it earlier during the plot breakdown. It's it's really effective stuff that uh, it's just the way, you know, she's sitting there Indian style watching the drama unfold in front of her. Meanwhile, She's taunting them and doing her best impressions of, of she knows what she's doing. Okay. So just put it that way. It's like a child who, when they're, you know, intentionally, you know, piss off their parents because they know what they're doing. Okay. They're not stupid. They know better. So yeah, that'd be mine. So, um, eh, shit, we're almost done here. We can move on to like this, try that. You can oh. This is one of the easiest answers I've ever had for this category, and that's Evil Dead 2. Uh, it, it plays more of a remake than a direct sequel to the first movie, but they're two peas in a pod. I can't recommend one without the other. You know, it's this is like one of those things where it's kind of hard not to have a double feature, um, just based on the material and, and, and all that. So, I, I don't know. Corey, where, where do you stand? Yeah, I mean, mine's kind of similar, and I would recommend the TV series, Ash vs. the Evil Dead. Uh, I love that show. I mean, I watched it from its debut. It debuted on Halloween, you know, whatever it was, like six, seven years ago, uh, or five or six years ago, however long ago it was. Um, But I love that show. I mean, it was made by uh, Raimi and Campbell, and all the original guys came back. 
Uh, just so awesome to see Bruce Campbell reprise his role after being away for so long. Um, and just a loving uh, sequel. Like, I mean, just they keep with the continuity of everything. They bring back, uh, you know, some of the original actors from the films. And it captures the whole essence of the movies, you know, with the physical acting from Bruce Campbell and the comedy. It introduces new characters, um, which are great, you know, and it just expands upon the universe. And, uh, you know, the show didn't get a proper ending, unfortunately. It ends with a kind of a cliffhanger, not a cliffhanger, but it ends with kind of, you know, a bait for the next season, which obviously never happened. It got canceled. Right. But it's still worthwhile. I mean, if you're a fan of the movies, you absolutely have to watch this show. I mean, it's like necessary viewing. Every every episode's a banger. It's not like uh, you get like filler episodes where nothing happens. It's like, nah. Like, you get some deadite action in every uh, every episode. I remember like the third episode. I'm like, oh, this is gonna, they're gonna have some downer episodes now, and then they go to a diner, and the Deadites just take it over, and I'm just <laughs> like, yeah, this, this show is a banger, like, it just, uh, there, there's no, there's no filler here, it's all killer, it's just awesome. So yeah, I can't recommend the show highly enough, uh, it's a shame not more people watched it, uh, you know, just watching Bruce Campbell come back alone is worth it, but just all the tie-ins to the original films, and callbacks, and just, like I said, just expanding upon the universe. It's just awesome. So well done. So awesome. All right, we can move on to our movie MVPs. All right, now you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is... Uh, I mean... <laughs> uh, unless, you know... How Delrich does it for you is Bruce Campbell through and through for me. It's Ash. He's the centerpiece of this franchise. He's the the fucking literal, literally. He is the the, the poster, uh, and, and such. Like he's the 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 poster boy. Like I was just trying to say, and uh, the mascot for this. This is all him. This is all Bruce all day. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I mean, it has to be uh, Bruce Campbell. Uh, I do like him in this film. You know, obviously, like I said, it's not his best work. But he's still really good. He's still really likable. Uh, just like a normal likable guy uh, on a date with his girlfriend. Uh, you know, I do appreciate the movie and the fact that, you know, I knew Bruce Campbell was going to be the lead. But if you're watching this cold and you've never seen or never heard of anything Evil Dead, you might think Scotty's going to be the lead at first. I mean, he's driving. He's kind of like the alpha in the group, so you kind of might think he's going to be the hero, you know, but hmm. nah, it's Bruce Campbell. Uh, but yeah, he's likable, he's awesome, and obviously he does a great job. Uh, you know, he'll come into his own more down the road, but even in this film, he definitely stands above everybody else, for sure. Alright. We have a new category exclusive for the Harathon. And it ties into the genre, obviously. So we're going to call this category R.I.P. Rest in peace. And it's very simple. What's our favorite death scene of the movie? So, Corey, I'm going to let you, uh, I'm going to pass the reins off to you for this inaugural category. What's your favorite kill in this movie? (laughs) I thank you. 
Uh, it ties into my finger looking good, and that is when Scotty and Cheryl uh, just basically freeze and then disintegrate because the uh, Necronomicon's getting burned. Uh, I just love the stop-motion effects. Uh, it just still looks awesome and so charming to this day. Just It's dated, but dated in a good way. It still looks really cool. I love the colors. I love the squishy sounds it makes as the flesh is going away. Like It just still looks gross in the best possible way. So yeah, to me, that's definitely the highlight is when the two uh, deadites are basically just dissolving in front of our eyes. It's so memorable. I still... You know, just randomly think about that, even to this day. That's definitely seared into my brain, watching the Deadites just go to nothing. Yeah, so much is happening, you know, as far as death scenes. It's, it's like the, a lot of the same. All uh, right, so... Uh, you know what? Scotty gets a real fucked up death. Uh, but then again, so does, so does Cheryl. And Cheryl gets thrown through a fucking fireplace and shit before coming back. Oh, uh, man. Can I put all three of them evil dead girls? Because <laughs> they get it so bad. Not that there's anybody else. Um, yeah, fuck it. Uh, and I'll go with Cheryl because she has, you know, most, she is, she, she's got more to chew on, so more to do, deal with, more to work with. So yeah, that's my answer. I'm sticking to it. Alright, that being said, we can move on to our final category, which is always the final effect treatment. Ow. On a scale of one Ow. on a scale ah. on a scale Ow. on a scale of one to ten. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. Give me the damn veggies. What do you think? Alright, so I'm giving this film Three and a half stars, my final rating. I, like I said, threw it to death. Um, it's not my favorite, but it's it's still something that I enjoy watching. Uh, just the, the, the low guerrilla style filmmaking is in full display here for this movie, and it shows. It's kind of like the, uh, it's, it kind of reminds you of, uh, it's, you get like Blair Witch vibes and whatnot for its, its generation. Um, but yeah, uh, just haven't seen the documentary, not the documentary, the, the, sh- the short film that they made to get this produced uh, full length wise. Just watching that along with, you know, the, the movie itself earlier um, really helped me out with a better understanding of, of, of things. So, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's, it's not a perfect movie. It's far from a perfect film. But it's definitely also a movie that it's it's hard to ignore the fact that it's it's definitely something that's piqued my interest over these last several weeks. So, um, therefore, three and a half. Yeah, I'm I'm still good with that. Three and a half is my final answer. Corey, how about you? Yeah, my uh, rating's pretty similar. It's three out of five. Uh, you know, I think when most people think of Evil Dead, they think of the sequel, not this film. Uh, that's definitely how I always am because, you know, they're so similar. Sometimes in my brain, I kind of get them mixed up, you know, especially if I haven't seen it in a long time. I'll kind of be like, is that in the first one or second one? Uh, you know, so rewatching it and thinking about it now, I definitely haven't seen this one nearly as much as I've seen the second one. Uh, you know, like I said, I wore out the tape on the second one. 
but uh, I still appreciate it. It's, st- it's still a really well done, uh, low budget horror movie. Uh, I really appreciate that this came out in the early '80s, in the time where pretty much everything was a slasher, just a guy in a mask killing people, and then Sam Raimi goes out and makes uh, about demon possessions and the Necronomicon. I don't know. It's just uh, you know, you might say there's some cliche elements to the story, but a lot of the times. This is the movie that created the cliches. Yeah. So uh, it, it's just a it's just a good premise in my opinion. Uh, awesome uh, script idea overall. Like I just really like the feeling of just friends getting possessed and starting to rip <laughs> themselves and each other apart. Right. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just so awesome. Uh, yeah. Does it look cheap in certain spots? Sure. Is the acting the greatest all the time? No. Uh, but the positives far outweigh the negatives. I mean, you got a young Bruce Campbell in there doing good. You got Sam Raimi just whipping the camera everywhere. Uh, you know, it's just a fun time. I think if you're a horror fan, this is a must watch. Uh, you know, an important movie. Uh, it's inspired so many filmmakers, so many writers, just so many people in the film industry. You know, it's just interesting because, you know, every generation is inspired by the previous. So, uh, you know, the people that were watching this one, we were kids are now making movies. So yeah, it's just uh, intriguing to me. The fact that that whole cycle goes down. Uh, but yeah, an important film in uh, cinema history. Is it Raimi or evil dead's best? No, but it's still definitely a fun time. And if you're a horror fan, like why haven't you seen this yet? Like, what are you waiting for? <laughs> Get on this shit. It's uh pretty awesome. And yeah, it's just one that I'll keep going back and rewatch. And it just brings back some, Nostalgia for me, renting that uh, videotape back in the day. All right, well, this episode is sponsored by Gugon. Who wants you to understand that things can get messy? That's where Gugon Cleaner comes in to clean up that mess. Maybe it can even clean up your life, too. As always, this is not a real sponsorship, rather more of a faux sponsorship. It's a harmless comedy bit and isn't meant to be ever taken seriously. Relax, these are the jokes. And with that comes the end of our episode on The Evil Dead, a film that without a doubt gets the full film effects seal of approval. One down, many more to follow. Check out our ever-going collection of previous episodes over at our website, thefilmeffectpodcast.com, and please follow us on the following socials, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, you name it. All the links are in the episode notes. It's the best way to stay up in the up and yeah, this is the best way to stay in the up and up and to, of course, interact with us from time to time. All links, like I said, are in the episode notes. Ratings, reviews, they help us out. They go a long way. It really gets the word out there, spreads the word, helps us. So please... Let us know how we're doing and spread the word so our community can expand. The Halloween Horrorthon continues this week with episodes on Evil Dead 2, Pet Cemetery, Bad Moon, and Stephen King's Sleepwalkers, all movies I am really excited to cover. I'm so happy. It's fucking Horrorthon season. I'm just, I'm so happy. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be such a fun, fun month for sure. Um... I really can't wait for these episodes, Corey. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm pumped too. There's uh, going to be a couple that I haven't seen, like Bad Moon, uh, Vamp, I'm getting ready to watch because uh, we're going to cover that later. Uh, so yeah, I'm just excited. I mean, like I said, uh, I love all things horror, Halloween, uh, you know, 
as we're recording this episode, it's like the first real cool down for fall for us. Uh, so yeah, I'm just so excited. I I just love the crisp crispness in the air. I just love the spooky <laughs> season. So oh yeah, yeah, just definitely uh, the best time of the year for me. I think a lot of people too. So yeah, we're not we're a horror podcast for the next month. So yeah, I'm excited. Oh yeah, that's for damn sure. We we have definitely made that jump. Until November 1st, we are your next stop horror pod, so get ready. Dig it. Um, Yeah, until next time, this has been the Film Effect Podcast. We'll talk again real soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. And remember, shop smart. Shop S-smart. Oh, dead by dawn. Ha 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 ha!